Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Today is October 20th, 2019. On this day in 1944, a coroner's inquest was held in Los Angeles regarding the violent death of 20-year-old oil heiress Georgette Bauerdorf. In life, Georgette was an upstanding socialite, free of scandal. That only made her sudden, violent death all the more intriguing for the press and the public. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 platinum jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today we're going back to October 20th, 1944, when the city of Los Angeles held a coroner's inquest to determine whether the death of heiress Georgette Bauerdorf was a homicide. Depending on the results of the proceedings, the police would either close Georgette's case forever or start searching for her killer. Let's return to the morning of October 20th, 1944, as a key witness, Fred Atwood, steps into a crowded courthouse. Fred Atwood tried to warm up in his heavy coat and hat. The air was unseasonably brisk for autumn in Los Angeles, like God himself had cast a chilly pallor over the sordid affair. Any other day, Fred would be making the rounds. He worked as a janitor at a high-profile apartment building in Hollywood's El Palacio neighborhood. Fred wasn't much for glitz and glamour, but he couldn't deny the excitement of spending every day in the homes of heiresses and starlets, even if it was just to clean up after them. But today, he'd been called to testify before the court regarding an unexpected death. Press packed the room before the inquest even got started. Georgette had been pretty. She'd been rich. She really could have gone places. And she'd died in El Palacio, home to Hollywood's most beautiful and famous ingenues. So far as Fred knew, Georgette didn't get into trouble. She was a proper young lady. She didn't have enemies. She'd even volunteered at the Hollywood canteen to support the troops. She was the last person Fred would have expected to turn up murdered. That was part of the reason her case drew so much coverage. Inquests were simple affairs. 
no lawyers, no judge, just a coroner delivering his autopsy findings to a jury of nine. Other witnesses and experts could share their stories as well. The testimony would help the police distinguish between accidental deaths and murders. Whatever was said today would determine whether the Los Angeles Police Department hunted for Georgette Bauerdorf's murderer or if they'd simply close her case as an accidental death. That was where Fred came in, because as much as he wanted to remain a humble janitor, he had key information about the case. He hoped his testimony would be enough to ease his guilt. The trouble had begun days before, on October 12th, when Fred walked into Georgette's apartment, as usual, for the morning cleaning. Usually, his services were barely needed. Georgette was meticulously clean. He didn't know much about her personally, but he felt a connection to her through her disciplined housekeeping. But on the 12th, Fred found her apartment in disarray. It looked far worse than what he'd expected, even after a riotous party. He picked carefully through the mess, confused. Even one of her light bulbs had been removed from its fixture, but still nothing he hadn't seen in other apartments until he reached the bathroom, where he was stopped short by the sight of Georgette, face down in the bathtub, dead. He'd called the police, given his statement, and washed his hands of the whole affair. But since then, Fred found himself dragged deeper and deeper into the investigation into Georgette's death. And maybe that was for the best, because as much as Fred hated the hubbub, he knew that Georgette deserved justice. If he could help bring about that justice at the inquest, Fred decided, he had no choice but to do so. The coroner began his testimony with a straightforward account of Georgette's autopsy. Originally, he'd believed Georgette died naturally, especially after her father testified to her history of medical problems. But people dying of disease don't turn up with wads of fabric shoved down their throats. The autopsy revealed that Georgette had no water in her lungs, even though her body was face down in the bathtub. That meant she died first, then was moved into the tub. Tiny cuts on her hands suggested she'd tried to fight someone off. Fred felt his stomach roil while the coroner detailed the trauma on Georgette's body that suggested she suffered a sexual assault the night she died. The coroner droned on like it was nothing, just another body from just another case. But Fred was no coroner. He wasn't cut out for this. He didn't want to be here, hearing all this, about such a nice girl. But guilt prevented him from leaving. Finally, it was Fred's turn to testify. It was time to reveal the secret he'd borne since the night Georgette died. He took to the stand. He explained that he was the janitor at Georgette's building and that he lived on-premises. With a shaking voice, he described how, on the 12th, he'd awakened in the middle of the night to the click-clack of heels from the apartment above his own, Georgette's. 
After the woman spent several moments pacing in what had to be her kitchen, her footsteps stopped abruptly with a crash, like something heavy was dropped on the floor. His voice faltering, Fred went on to tell how two hours later he'd heard a woman's scream cut through the sleeping apartment building. Georgette had begged for her life, saying, Stop, stop, you're killing me. And shame coloring his cheeks, Fred testified that after he heard the telltale sounds of murder, he'd rolled over and gone back to sleep. As disturbing as the sounds were, his bed had been warm, the night had been cold, and it was easy to write off the scream as the result of a meaningless domestic squabble. Fred's deepest guilt lay in his silence the night of October 12th. It lay in his laziness, in his choice to stay in bed rather than check on Georgette. If he'd walked up to her apartment, tapped on her door, run in to find her unconscious but still breathing, why, Georgette might still be alive. Fred hadn't killed Georgette, but in his mind, he may as well have. Shame initially led him not to tell the police what he'd heard when he first called 911. It led him to hold his tongue for the first eight days of investigation. He spoke up only now, knowing that the results of the coroner's inquest would determine whether the L.A. Police Department investigated Georgette's death as a homicide. Sure, the autopsy results were compelling, but if Fred had learned one thing these past few weeks, it was that he couldn't just assume everything would work out. He had to speak up, even if it opened him to public shame. If he said nothing, and if Georgette was laid to rest without an investigation, Fred would never forgive himself. Coming up, we'll reveal the results of the coroner's inquest and how Georgette's case played out long-term. Now, back to the story. A few hours after the coroner's inquest began on October 20th, 1944, the jury of nine men offered their verdict. Georgette Bauerdorf had been murdered. As Fred Atwood left the Hall of Justice, his steps felt a tiny bit lighter. True, it was too late to save Georgette's life, but he'd finally spoken up. And thanks in some small part to his testimony, the police were going to try to find the man who'd killed her. His story was the least Fred could offer to appease Georgette's soul. But Georgette wouldn't receive justice or peace. Investigators spoke with several of her former boyfriends and pen pals, but never honed in on a top suspect or made any arrests related to her murder. After a year, police had no leads. Then, in 1945, a mysterious letter appeared. It read, To the police, between now and October 11th, the one who murdered Georgette Bauerdorf will appear at the Hollywood Canteen. The murderer will be in uniform. He has, since he committed the murder, been in action at Okinawa. The murder of Georgette Bauerdorf was divine retribution. Let the Los Angeles police arrest the murderer, if they can. 
Spurred by this clue, police proceeded to stake out the Hollywood canteen on the night in question, but no suspect ever presented himself. In 1947, three years after Georgette's murder, a gruesomely mutilated corpse appeared near where Georgette's stolen car was found the morning after her murder. It was the Black Dahlia. Police briefly tried to link Georgette's death to the Black Dahlia murder, but other than the shared location of interest and that both victims were young white women, the crimes had too little in common. Today, Georgette Bauerdorf's murder remains unsolved. But because of Georgette's wealth, beauty, Hollywood connections, and her tenuous link to the Black Dahlia murder, her case is still popular among amateur sleuths. For more information on the murder of Georgette Bauerdorf, check out our episode of Unsolved Murders, which covers different aspects of her still-open case. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Joel Stein, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Angela Jorgensen. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 